Well, it is good to see you today. To those of you here at Garden City, uh, to our folks at Adrian, to those of you at Lewisburg, to those of you who join us uh, online today, we are really, really glad to be together. You look good in red. You look good. I feel like we need a, we need a Go Chiefs shout this morning. I don't know. I just like all campuses, we could do that. Like Adrian, Lewisburg, everybody in. I'm going to count to three and we're just going to do an all campus Go Chiefs. All right? You ready? One, two, three, Go Chiefs. That's good. It's good. So the road to the Super Bowl could go through Arrowhead. Man. But the goal is to win today, right? The goal is to win today. And speaking of goals, we as a church, as Heart of Life, have set a goal for 2020 to read together the entire story of God. That's one of our goals. Entire Bible, whole thing, all the way through, together. All right? So if you're just getting in on this, there, there are some hard copies of that reading plan that you'll find uh, at each campus. You, you can pick one up if you want to, if you prefer to literally have a sheet of paper to, to work with. But we're encouraging everybody to get the Read Scripture app, all right? It, it looks like this. This is, this is the icon that you're looking for. And, and we just encourage you, if you'll download the app, and then if you will go into the settings and just pick a start date for January 5th. Now, I realize this is not January 5th, but the start date was January the 5th. And if you'll pick the 5th, then we can stay together um, on the same day as we make our way through the year. Now, maybe you're saying, well, I want to be a part of that, but I wasn't here last week. That means I'm a whole week behind. It's okay. It's okay. You could catch up. We're still in the first book. Still in the first book. So you could catch up. But I'm going to say this repetitively through the year. It's also, hey, it's also okay if you just push the button for the day that you're on. It, it, it really is okay because we want to be together on the same page. Now, I, that's really not about control. It's not at all. It's about growth. And, and I'll talk a little bit uh, more about this a, a little later, maybe why we, we struggle with that so much. But what would be the result if more than ever we were on the same page? Not just with each other, but we're talking about with the heart of God. So if you're already behind, don't quit. Just push the button today and read the section of Scripture that God gives to us. It's kind of like that daily bread. You need it, all right? So you got an outline today. We're going to dig in. Every week, we're going to talk from a section of what we read the week prior. So you've got an outline today, but what you'll notice is that the, out, the, the, the blanks that you're going to fill in, there's a little space before that. That's because I'm giving you the chance to just take some notes here at the beginning, and then I promise by the time it's over, we'll give you some blanks and you'll feel okay, all right? 
but I also know you can take some notes. Start some good habits. It's new year. Write some things down that are worth writing down. And whether I've got something to say that's worth writing down, we're going to read God's word and is worth writing down. I want you to imagine you need a place to stay for a little while. And you've been invited by a friend to stay at their place. You, you think it's probably going to be a month or two. You, you just need a while. And uh, after the first week of staying with them, though, your, your friend and their family go away for a few weeks. But they're glad you're there. They want you to watch the house, all right? They're away. You watch the house. So after a few days, it's just you. There are a few things you start to rearrange. Maybe you, you like to cook, and so every day you're actually in the kitchen, and you begin to realize that the cooking utensils are like way over there. And it would be a whole lot better if the cooking utensils were right here by where you need to work with them. So you move the cooking utensils to here, and you take the, the forks and the spoons, and you move them there. You also, after watching a little HGTV, realize that if this piece of furniture was over here, and if this piece of furniture was over here, this room would just feel better. It would feel like more space. And so, sure enough, you move this couch over here, and after a while, you move this chair over there. And then you kind of notice some of the clutter around the house. And you decide, you know, there's just some things that need to be thrown away, and obviously these haven't been thrown away, and you start to do so. Well, after several weeks, you get word that your friends are going to be delayed. They've already been gone for several weeks, but it's going to be longer, maybe even a month. And so by the next week, you're inviting people over to your place. You get a dog. Or three. Now, none of that in and of itself is just necessarily bad. After all, your friend told you, make yourself at home. Your, your friend said to you, keep watch over the place while I'm away. But you realize something shifted in your view, where you are no longer seeing it as your friend's house, it's now yours. And it's going to get a little awkward once your friend comes back. For most people, I think that's kind of how they do life. The truth is, God has gifted this world for us to live in. He really has. Now, he's told us, in a sense, to, to, to make ourselves at home in a way that, that, that we are to, to, to work it, we are to keep it, we are to, to manage to use our gifts and our talents and our resources. I mean, all that, by the way, actually given by him. In biblical language, he calls us to, to be fruitful and to multiply. But I'm saying along the way, We've forgotten 
that we don't own the house. We've forgotten that we are actually house guests. And it's going to get a little awkward when our friend gets back. So my question is, how about you? How do you see it? Do you see yourself as owner or do you see yourself as a house guest in this world? And regardless of what you say, the evidence of which one you really think you are will show up in some very practical moments. I'm going to show you one of them here today. Genesis chapter 4, just a few verses out of Genesis chapter 4 that I want to read to you. Again, each week we'll talk about something that we read together during the the past week. And so Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, this is what the scripture says. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, what's the context? Adam and Eve, you know you read the story, maybe for the first time this week, but some of you have read it more times than you can count. They have been cast out of the garden. Because of their sin, their rebellion against God. And just like God said it would be, life's gotten harder. It is more difficult. Struggle involved. And in this context, by chapter 4, Eve is about to give birth for the first time. Her response, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Twelve English words. And it's one of those places where I can show you those twelve English words are actually translated from just four Hebrew words. Now that's just the way it works in language. Right? It depends on how you're translating one from the other. Sometimes you've got one word in one language that it really requires about four words to sum that up. At other times, you've got a whole bunch of words that sometimes in another language, there's just one or two words that, in this case, we got 12 English words that really come from four Hebrew words. And those four words, if I were just going to narrow it down to the four, go like this, gotten, man, with God. Those are the four. Those are actually the four Hebrew words that are there. Gotten man with God. In other words, phrases like the help of are not actually there. It's a part of how translation happens when you're trying to understand what's being said here. In other words, gotten man with God, the key, the question, this little word with, does it mean with the help of God? Is that what it's talking about? Well, maybe, maybe. And I'm going to tell you that that little word is used hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the, in the Old Testament, but 
nowhere else in the Old Testament is it translated exactly like that. Nowhere else. Almost every other case, it, it is simply either translated as with or the idea of with as in compared to or with as in equal to. In other words, this is the question that's presented here. Gotten man with God, does it mean with the help of God or does it mean with the comparison to God? In other words, the question we wrestle with with this little phrase in Scripture is, is Eve saying, I've had a baby with the help of God, or is she saying, I just made a man like God makes man? You see what I'm saying? It's a question of, does it mean that God helped me to do this? Or does it mean, look what I did. This is what God does. I am like God. Now, the reason we raise that question and, and we ask what is being said there is, is I'm telling you, that thinking with Eve is consistent with the lie that the enemy brought to her in the garden. You read it this week. And there are conservative Bible Hebrew scholars that say, we're not exactly sure which way this goes, but we know linked to what the enemy said to Eve, right? God said, Eve, don't touch the tree. But the enemy said, is that really what God said? And the enemy says this in Genesis chapter 3. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, Eve. Eve, he's really not protecting you and saying don't touch the tree. He, he, if you, but if you, if you eat of the tree, you're going to be like God. She buys the lie. She eats the fruit. We know Adam does too. And really, it's no surprise to us because we also know from the Bible, that's the thinking that, that comes from the heart of an enemy. That's actually what led the enemy to become our enemy. At one time, he was with God. But Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 14, there comes this place where he said in his heart, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like thee most high and so you've got an enemy who wants to put himself as god you, you you've got eve who who buys the lie come on eve don't don't you want to call the shots don't don't you want to be god now i want you to think about it this way up to this point no one has ever seen anyone born Now, you could have said that to me at a time in my life, and I would have said, okay, but after I saw someone born, it's different now. 
And some of you know what I'm talking about, moms, dads, when you, when you experience, some of you are about to find out what, what that's like, right? It, it, it's like when you see a baby born, unless you are just heartless, something happens in you. It really does. Unless you're just numb to everything, you watch a baby born, there is something so powerful about that moment. There is something that is so miraculous about that moment. There is something that feels so supernatural about that moment that can't you see it possible that Eve might make the leap Look what I did. Look, look what I did. I must be like God. Now, I'm telling you whether or not that's actually what she's saying in verse 1. What we know for sure is that was her heart in chapter 3. We know that was her heart to, to have equality with God, that that's why she eats of the fruit, that that's why she, she gives in to the temptation. We, we know it. And what we can acknowledge is that throughout our life, there are moments, specific moments, where we can recognize how easily it is to slip into this kind of thinking. Because come on. We are American, self-made men. American, self-made women. Look at me. I did this all by myself. Look at me. I don't need help from anyone. Look at, look at me. And especially I'm saying when it's something that, that you accomplish that is significant, I'm saying really, especially when we tend to, to do something maybe for the first time, there's this self-made aspect in us, a struggle. There was a very popular speech a talk, a teaching, if you will, that was done all the way back in 1859 by a man named Frederick Douglass called Self-Made Men. And I want to read just a little bit of it to you today. I want you to hear what he has to say. He said, self-made men are the men who owe little or nothing to birth, relationship, friendly surroundings, to wealth inherited or to early approved means of education, who are what they are, without the aid of any of the favoring conditions by which other men usually rise in the world and achieve great results. Let me paraphrase. Frederick Douglass believed it's work. We're talking about men and women who will work. Right, Not men and women who are just handed wealth and said, here you go. Not men and women who are just handed privilege or a position or are owning something and said, here you go. He's saying, no, it's about work. Now, Frederick Douglass, I think we got a photo of him. Frederick Douglass was actually born a slave. 
He learned to read and write at a time where it was illegal for him to do so. But he became one of the elite intellectuals, thinkers of his day. He, if there were ever an example, was such a man who rose to be a self-made man. Nobody handed him wealth. Nobody handed him privilege. He worked. But I also find it interesting that Frederick Douglass, who gives such a talk about the value of work, is also one who would quickly acknowledge there is no self-made man. Here's what I mean. Check out what he says. Properly speaking, there are in the world no such men as self-made men. And here's what he means. It must, in truth be said, though it may not accord well with self-conscious individuality and self-conceit, that no possible native force of character and no depth or wealth of originality can lift a man into absolute independence of his fellow men. And no generation of men can be independent of the preceding generation. In other words, here's what Frederick Douglass knew. All of us tend to be standing on the shoulders of giants. All of us tend to owe a gratitude to those who have come before us in some way, who impact our lives, those who surround us now, who impact our lives. Frederick Douglass knew there are no self-made men. You don't do this alone. There is something from the outside that affects you and what we learn from the Bible is this is exactly true. There are people around us that bless our lives. There are no self-made men, but ultimately what the Bible teaches us is God. God is the one we owe everything to. All credit. Now, whether or not Eve, again, gets that in verse 1, what I'm absolutely confident of is that she gets it by the end of the chapter. And maybe it was the consequences of what Eve had to watch happen in her family, because you read it this week. It It didn't end with this happy family story, did it? You've got brothers where one envies the other. You've got brothers where one murders the other and Cain kills Abel. And maybe it's walking through those kinds of circumstances where Eve suddenly has to to settle with the realization, you know what, I am not so in control as I think I am. I I am not so God-like as I think I am. Maybe it's going through the loss. Maybe it's experiencing the grief, the disappointment, all that comes with it. But what we know is that by the end of chapter 4, Eve understands correctly. Because I want you to listen to what it says in verse 25. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. Now check this out, saying, God has 
granted me. God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. And what I want you to know here is it is clear. There is, it's not a with this time. The language is totally different. The language this time leaves no question whatsoever. Eve looks at the baby that is just born to her. And her declaration is not, I have created man like God, but God has given. And suddenly it's as though she sees herself as the vehicle by which God delivers this gift, the gift of a son, into the world. It's James in the New Testament who tells us don't be deceived. He says, I don't want you to be deceived. Don't play a game with your own heart. Here's what he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And just in case you don't know what I mean by that, James says, look, it comes down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He's always good and he's always the giver of every good and perfect gift. When we forget that God is the giver of all gifts, we can begin to act as though we are God's gift to the world. Instead of understanding, our role is a little more like an Amazon flex driver. We don't make the gifts, we just deliver them when it's time to be delivered. Don't be deceived, James says. It all comes from God. Eve eventually gets this crystal clear. Again, I, I don't know the first verse, whether or not she gets it or not, I'm not sure. But by verse 25, I'm sure she understands it. The question is, do we? We got to bring this home and go, this is such a big picture of how the Bible begins. A God who creates the world puts us here and says, I want you to steward everything there is. I want you to manage it. I want you to watch over it. But the story is that Adam and Eve are like, nope, it's ours. We're going to call the shots here. We're going to move the furniture here. We're going to move the cooking utensils here. We're, we're going to call it ours and it becomes this picture of the struggle for all of us and, and and we say we get it but there are these moments where when something significant often of accomplishment happens and all of a sudden we have this heart that seems self-made even though Eve had never once seen a birth it's like, does that really give her reason to think that she is equal with God? She is simply doing what she was created to do. No, no less effort, no less beautiful. And the truth is, our challenge is that we have this tendency when we find ourselves in such moments that we put too much stock in us. We put so much identity in what we think we just did, we put so much pressure on it. I'm the first of my family to graduate. Self-made man. 
I'm the first of my family to get a scholarship. I'm the first of my family to to graduate with top honors. Uh, I'm the first in my family to own a business. I'm I'm the first in my family to make this much money. I'm the first in my family to own a home like this, the first in my family to own land like this. I'm the the first in my family to break this ugly picture of divorce. I'm the first, I'm the first, I'm the first. And all of a sudden, there is a pressure that comes with that and an opportunity for pride and self-congratulation. I'm saying I think there's even a little bit of that that comes into reading the Bible through. (laughs) Something so simple as reading the Bible through. Because I'm convinced that for some of us, if we get behind, we can't just push the button for today and meet with God because there is something inside of us that has to prove we read the whole thing. And I'm saying there are big moments in life like the birth of children. There can even be daily moments in life like reading our Bible through where honestly there's a part of us that would rather be able to say we did it and that becomes more valuable than actually meeting with God today. It's a slippery slope. Just as there had to be a shift in Eve's heart, the same thing has to happen in us. The gifts that we receive, right? That's what we give. We give as we receive. We give because God gives. None of us are self-made. We have all been given something for the use of everyone in order to make his name great. That's what we're going to see in just a second. Let me show you one more verse before I give you those last blanks, all right? Let me show you one uh, more verse. Verse 26. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. I love that. It's like once Eve got it. Once Eve is no longer about Eve, but this seems to be she's thanking God for what he has given her. All of a sudden, it affects the people around her. And when her son right, has a son, then the people began to call on the name of the Lord. Here's the big point today. Let's get you some blanks so you can breathe. You ready? Here's the big point today. Everything you have is given to you. Everything you have is given to you. Who gives it to you? God. He is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. Everything you have is given to you. But not just to own it. It's with the expectation that you will use it. Not just to have it, not just to own it, not just to hoard it, not just to store it. But but he gives you everything that you have that you will use it to spread the name and fame of Jesus. Eve didn't need to stop having children to be faithful. Eve needed to keep having children in a way that was faithful. 
to stop viewing herself as the gift of God and seeing her life more as the conduit through which God gifts are given to the world. When she does so, even the people around her, her family beyond, start to call on the name of the Lord. All right. So I want to get really practical with you today. For those of you who really want to do some work on this, this is where you, this is where it's going to work for you. For those of you that just came to hear something and hopefully be inspired a little bit, I'm challenging you to do it. I'm challenging you to do something with this principle because, come on, it, it is from the beginning something that challenges our heart. So what do I do with this? Here's your first First step, recognize. I want you to recognize. I want you to recognize how much you've been given that you didn't earn. Okay? And I literally want you to make a list. And if you've got your outline, for those of you who are working your outline, if you flip that outline over on the back, you will notice from the top of the bottom to the page, there's a a number from 1 to 20. You see it? On the back of it, it's, it's numbered from 1 to 20. That's because I'm challenging you to start with a goal of 20 things that you're going to write down that you didn't earn. I'll help you get started. Being born. You didn't choose that. To, to be born, to, to have this life, you, you, you didn't choose that. But it is a gift that is given to you. I'll give you another one. Some of you, now not everybody can write this down. Some of you have parents who loved Jesus like crazy while you were growing up and pointed you toward him. You didn't earn that. You didn't, you didn't make that happen in their hearts. That's a gift that was given to you. Some of you, it wasn't parents, but there were people who stepped into your life and told you about who Jesus was. They stepped into your life and loved you in some way. You didn't earn that. Write it down. There's way more than 20, by the way. It's just we tend to think out here instead of thinking here. I'll give you another one. Breathing. You don't think about it. But the next moment it's given to you, so far it's given to you. How about the gift of seriously being able to live on this planet? That is just so basic. Will you stop it? The God who created this whole universe and we just happen to be on so far the only known planet in the universe that is viable for sustaining life where it's not too hot that it burns us up and it's not too cold that it freezes us all and the oxygen levels are just right are we serious about thinking that just is but you didn't do anything to get that you you see the pattern i challenge you to start with 20 and when you get to 20 go to 30 and when you get to 30 go to 40 And just start taking a little time to recognize how much you have been given that you did not earn. Even abilities. I know you worked hard to develop, well, some of you worked hard to develop them. But you didn't create those abilities in you. 
You might have worked hard with discipline and repetition to develop those abilities, but you didn't create those abilities. They were given to you. But the expectation we learned a minute ago is that you're not just given these things to just keep them. You're given these things, right, in order to do something with them. And so that's, that's our second word of application. What do I do with this? It's the word cultivate. It's the word cultivate. And you already see the note out beside it. I, I want to challenge you. Circle something on the list that you have been given, that you're gonna do something with it this week. I don't know what you mean, Jeff. I mean, some of you are artistic. So maybe it's time for you to sign up for a class and, and, and cultivate this gift of art that you have. Right? Whether, whether that's painting or it's writing or it's, you know, whatever it is, do something with it. Yes, on a regular basis, but before you can get to the regular basis, you got to like start. You got to push the button for this day. And I'm saying this week, I'm challenging you, go for the 20 things, then make it 30, then make it 40, and then circle at least one that you're going to do something with it. You got a passion for working with people who are neglected, then volunteer at the nursing home this week. Do something with it. Do something with it. And then last, what do I do with this? I want you to envision. I want you to envision how can I Glorify Jesus. Now, I want to explain this one because this, I think, is a little weird, and I think it's one of those that people don't necessarily do. I'm saying, dream about how you really could declare how great Jesus is by what he's given you. Dream about it. Imagine it. Envision it. Like, Knowing what he's given me, how could that in my life end up looking like something lived out that, that gives, it testifies to the greatness of who he really is. If you don't dream about it, if you don't imagine it, if you don't think about it on a regular basis, I'm telling you, you won't recognize the opportunities when they come your way. You will not. You'll not, if you don't think about it, if you don't dream about it, if you don't imagine it, you will not seize the moments when they come your way. Growing up, you guys know I, I loved the game of basketball, played football, played soccer, loved basketball. Played basketball more than anything else practiced basketball more than anything else. My dad uh, always made sure we had a basketball goal in the driveway. He put lights out there so that uh, on the nights that he would come home late from work, we could actually still play basketball at nine o'clock at night if we needed to. I, I love the game of basketball. And uh, especially, I mean, at uh, a certain age, I would go to basketball practice, however many hours we would practice that day, come home, you get something to eat. What are you going to do? You go back out and you shoot more baskets. It's just 
uh, honestly, a season of my life consumed with basketball. And when I was a little kid, I remember out on the driveway imagining, imagining. And most kids who enjoy sports, whatever it is, they, they do this in some way. There's a, there's a dreaming aspect to it. There's an imagining aspect to it. I would play a little, it was just me, by the way, just me out there. Now, if you'd have looked in, I was probably talking and you know, you'd think, who's he talking to and what's going on? But it, you imagine, you imagine being down by 10 with you know, a minute left on the clock. And you run a scenario in your head about Jeff makes the steal, right? And lay up, you got in, in, in the next play and you imagine something and next play you're working the ball and a shot from the outside goes in. You just imagine how you close the gap and then everybody, you imagine, imagine the last second shot. You count it down, three, two, one, shoo. And if you miss it, you just imagine it again, right? If it bong off the way, it's like three, two, one, you shoot it again. Because that's the beauty of Trev, you imagine it, you dream it. And however many times it takes you, you just, you keep shooting until you made it. I actually had the blessing of actually getting to live out a few of those moments in my life where I actually got to live out what I imagined in some last second shots. My my growing up was um, uh, kind of a weird deal um, because I had a lot of anxiety in front of people, uh, really. I, I had anxiety in the classroom. Um, this is no lie whatsoever. I would rather write a research paper that took me five days to work on than to have to stand up in front of a class and give a 10 minute talk. Any day, I would pick the five days of research. If I had to read a paragraph in class, my, 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 I would breathe different. My, it was like my, my voice just wouldn't, I would choke. It's just, it was anxiety. But on a basketball court, there was a different confidence that was there. And it's like when it gets down to the time, I'll shoot it. I, I even, okay, this is confession time. I got to do it fast. I even cheated one time to try to do it. How you like that for pastoral character? <laughs> end of the game, end of the game, referee calls a foul on the other team against one of my teammates. No time left on the clock. We're down by one, two free throws. I went to the line to shoot the free throws. Foul was not called on me, but I knew I was a better free throw shooter than that dude was. And I'm like, I'll shoot the free throws. First one, tie game. Second one, win the game. People storm the court. Everybody cheers. We go to the locker room. Referees get a little huddle and go, ah, call us back out of, call us back out of the locker rooms and say, wrong dude shot the free throws. Other dude shoots made one, sent it to overtime, end of overtime, three, two, one, I release, we won the game. Seriously, it happened a couple of times in my life. Happened a couple of times in my life. I didn't mind when it got to that point. It's like, give me the ball. 
But there was also this moment in my life where it changed. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with the game of basketball. Kind of like Eve, it's not about stop giving birth to be faithful. It's about realizing how to give birth faithfully. It's not about getting rid of basketball. It's about how to play the game for a greater purpose. And now, I don't play that much anymore, and I certainly don't get in the opportunity to actually make last-second shots on any kind of real game. But now I play for a bigger prize. And I don't mind telling you. It's like, God, I'll shoot it. God, I'll shoot it. Because this is about the name and the fame of the one who gave his life for you and me. He died, he rose again, and he has given us a mission to take this message to the ends of the earth. I'll shoot it. I discovered that in none of those instances in playing ball was the scenario of the last second shot that I happened to make, was it exactly like what I imagined in the driveway? You know what I mean? I mean, I had some great scenarios in my driveway, but you can't, you don't ever imagine exactly like how it's going to go down and how the passes go and how the ball's going to bounce. You, you, you don't ever imagine. Can I, I, I want to challenge you to realize when I tell you envision, when I call you to imagine, when I call you to dream, don't you make plans and then invite God to join your plans. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about dreaming and realizing that you've got a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all, of you, all that you can ask or imagine according to his power is it, that's at work in you. So go ahead and dream. Go ahead and imagine. Go ahead and envision about how a God who can do more probably has more for you to live out. And then when the actual moment comes, even though you probably didn't dream it exactly like it's going to happen, you'll be ready. And my encouragement to you is take the shot. Take the shot. In light of what we have learned to God from God today, what do we need to ask from him?